we're back to the Neil Haley show. And I'm just excited about this guest because when I talk about brand messaging, Glenn does it and he does it so, so well. So I'm excited to welcome to him, Glenn Rudin. Glenn, how are you? We met on Clubhouse in the million dollar room. And I just, what I liked about your, your, your energy is that you really want spent time with the people that asked questions. You didn't just kind of pass over it. You really wanted to break things down for it. And it's such important brand messaging, I think is probably the biggest missing component for personal brands and the large brands, the, the companies, right? Yes. So first of all, thank you so much, Neil, for having me here. It's, it, it's an honor to be on a podcast champion show, uh, which I consider you with, with, with all the success you've had here. So thanks so much for taking the time to let me be here and potentially talk to you about what I am so passionate about, which is branding and messaging. Because as I, I say to everybody, none of it matters if you can't figure out what to say about yourself, what to write about yourself, so that we know what you're trying to accomplish. Because in the absence of that, what in the world are you doing? Who are you reaching? And, and what are you saying to them? If you don't know the answers to these questions yourself, there's very little chance we're gonna know the answers to those as well. So tell me your background, because I mean, this is your thing. See, like I'm a jack of all trades, uh, master of none. Maybe you could say podcasting radio is it, but I mean, I'm a former professional wrestler. I've done just so many things in my career. I'm an entertainer, but like I want to, ev to do everything in marketing, but mean be a strategist in everything in marketing. Now I'm not doing everything or else I wouldn't have any time at all, but I really like, but everyone does niche down. But this one here, the reason I think it's such a powerful thing, Glenn, is because so many people don't know their brand. They don't know how to create a brand. They don't understand what they are. And it's so important. They don't. And, and I come by this through some of the greatest experiences that you could have working for Titans and branding uh, early, early in my career, I worked for Revlon, the cosmetic company. And, you know, even though they, they were the preeminent leader in mass women's cosmetics way back when, when Charles Revson started that company and they lost their way a bit and he, he got his ego involved in it and they ended up serving a mass market customer as opposed to Estee Lauder who really, really tailored to the upstairs market and really left Charles Revson no choice way back when. So I started working at Revlon in my 20s and it gave me an incredible, unique look at the way that marketing people pull together copy and stories about these products and then they're able to take that, translate that to the, to the men and women that actually work in these departments in Macy's and Bloomingdale's and Nordstrom's educate those people so that when a consumer is walking by in the store, they are brand ambassadors. They are well-versed. They know there's a stake in it for them. So they get well-versed on what the brands are all about and how to sell them. And so it's a really unique ecosystem. And that's really where I grew up in branding, understanding that it's not just putting a gorgeous product out there, but you've got to have a product that somebody understands. You've got to have a product that can speak for itself. And it's through understanding how that packaging could speak for a product up on a shelf or in a counter that I realized that we are all individual brands and products ourselves. And it's really just a question of how we position ourselves literally on the shelf of life that determines whether or not somebody's going to want to really pick us up, look our label over and hear what our story is.
brand messaging, but see this, you're Madison Avenue, meaning thinking of when you mention these kind of products, you think about specifically enough, these big companies, they don't, they don't go and say, okay, let's figure it out. The CEO and the people in the board. No, we're going to hire experts that understand this, understand exactly what it, we're talking about. We're talking big, big companies. So you worked in the corporate world. What made you want to go on your own, Glenn? Did it, were, were years working in the corporate world? That, yeah, I, I spent probably about a dozen years working for various corporations and and one of the things i really wanted to do was i was really intrigued um, by the manufacturing side of the business how all of that came together and one of the companies that i was with did a lot of importing from china and i really wanted to get over there I really wanted to see how these lots of 15 20 50 000 pieces were manufactured inexpensively you know how that happened and through the course of time uh, I created an opportunity for myself to start my own company with, uh, believe it or not, the Ringling Brother Circus, their division mm -hmm. that does the on ice shows. So if you've ever been to a Disney on ice show, that license is held by Ringling Brother Circus, who are the masters of in-venue entertainment. And working with them through the course of about a half a dozen years, I created about 600 different products, everything you could think of from the simple t-shirts and hats to light up toys, mugs that would be used to sell drinks and, and flavored ice balls, swords that talked, plush dolls, you name it. So I got an entire university of product development expertise by getting to go over in China and working directly on factory floors and understanding how that whole process happens so that I can bring it back and then figure out, okay, now when I create a brand, how am I going to be able to manufacture that? What is it going to, you know, what is it going to look like? What's the labeling going to be? How is it going to speak for itself when it gets up on a shelf? And again, looking at that process and figuring out that people are products too. Yes. So when you talk about branding, Neil, you've got a brand. Your podcast has a brand. You are a product on a shelf. It's the shelf of life. And where people decide to pick you up or not pick you up all has to do with the messaging you give out, starting with nonverbal brand messaging about yourself. Then when you say hello, do we like the way you sound? Then when we take a look at you, do we, of course, we like the way you look. But of course, you know, then that, that's all part of the equation, right? That, that enables somebody to decide, yes, I, I want the Neil Healy product or I don't want it. And then, see, that's a great point. And that's the missing component in so many different people is that thing. But you talk about that. I remember the days when I was wrestling in, in uh, minor leagues of professional wrestling and I sell the merchandise. It's all the different things from WWE, WWF stuff to WCW stuff and all that. And we just know what products are going to sell what they, they want at the shows. So, oh, whenever they're wrestling dolls on sale, we're picking those up. We'll double and we'll sell the price for double. But when you have an audience, so the message has to be there, but then the audience has to be there. So there's just so much to it. But if you don't have the brand messaging, you don't have a brand people are not going to buy it. And so you did that, which seems really interesting, but were you a consultant when doing that stuff in China and all that? Oh, no, no, no. I, I had my own companies and, and actually I, you know, I was gainfully employed by, let's say a fortune 1000 gift company. And one of our customers was looking for a resource, this Ringling Brothers that I spoke about. Okay. And that's how you start. I got it. Okay. Yeah, so when did that turn away from that? to the man, manufacturing and to now where you help people with their message regardless who they are 
Well, because about four or five years ago, I started doing some real heavy-duty networking in the New York area where I live. And I started realizing that most people are clueless when it comes to their own personal messaging. Now, I'm still in the manufacturing game. I'm working on some really interesting projects for uh, you know, one of the big uh, convenience store chains out west. I'm working on an individual project for a woman. It's an emergency signaling device. Uh, I've got a, a key client that I do science education toys for. Uh, that market slowed down a bit because of COVID, but I'm still deeply in that space. But because there's not as many customers in that space or the ones that are there know what they're doing, I'm always looking for more. There's always another inventor that's looking for advice on how do I manufacture my stuff overseas. I'm always looking for those inventors and people that need help in that space. But what I realized was that, again, people are products themselves. And so as I was going to these networking events, I realized that people had a very hard time with a number of things. Number one, public speaking. Yes. Number two, personal imaging. Number three, nonverbal branding. Number four, understanding how all three of those items pull together in this package of who is Glenn Rudin? Who is Neil Healy? And if all those things are not in concert, the way you look, the way you sound, the way you appear, your posture, if all that stuff is not in concert, then we just simply move on to the next person who gets to speak. We're like, we don't understand what he's You gotta differentiate yourself. You gotta blow people away. And that's what Clubhouse brings to the table is it's your voice. And if you don't get over in the first three minutes, you're done. And that yeah. and the rooms grew. I don't know if the algorithm's changing or not. I have I'll, this weekend. I'll do some more studying on it. The, I just saw a totally different animal after I took a social audio break for a couple of weeks, which I call which I called in the club pod room, which we grew to a pretty good size uh, room on Saturday. I call I called it social audio. So so when we when pod fade, I called it social audio fade. So I got to that point in the summer after six to seven months, it was getting old, same old, same old. I walked away, then I come back, the algorithms have changed. So that's the other thing about in anything you have to look at. If it doesn't work now, let's, where are we gonna kind of pivot? Like COVID now, people are gonna have to pivot again. And this is where they're gonna need someone like Len to give up the right messaging so that when they get their product or service out there, it's so, so important. And so I'm loving that where you figured that out and said, I'm gonna pivot a little bit. I'm gonna help people and all that because the biggest problem is they can't speak. They don't know where they're going, where direction to go. And you saw it so much on Clubhouse where they'd speak for two minutes, but they'd have no idea what they're speaking about their brand at all. Yeah, you know, it, what's really interesting is I can't tell you the number of times, I'm not even talking about with professional speakers at the National Speakers Association, where, you know, I'm a member of the, uh, of the New York chapter and I've been going for years. So these are professional speakers. These are people who get paid big money to speak for a living. And, you know, during breaks, I would say, hey, you know, you know tell me, you know, what, what do you do for a living? You know, what do you speak about? They would go on, forget 30 seconds because they're speakers. You know, once you pull the string, they just go running, running, running. After about two minutes, I'd say, listen, I, I, I honestly, I have to stop you. I, I have no idea what you're speaking about. I really don't understand what your topic is. And they would, you know, look at me kind of funny, you know, a little bit of a deer in the headlights thing. And then they'd realize, you know what? I, I really am just reeling off all of this saturated stuff out of my topic but I haven't really taken the time to figure out how do I say this to somebody so that in 30 seconds they get it and they're either intrigued and they want to know more or they get it and it's not for them, but they know somebody who is and they say, hey, listen, that's not for me, 
but I know so-and-so that could really use your help. So, so that, people, is that basically an elevator pitch in certain ways, would you it's, say? It's definitely, it's definitely an elevator pitch for sure. But even, even before it's a full elevator pitch, it's just even a 10 or 12 second introduction. You know, most people start out with, hey, I'm Glenn Rudin. Uh, you know, I'm from, uh, from uh, East Northport, New York. Uh, and uh, my company is called Always Been Creative. Yes. You just wasted the first 20 seconds of your pitch and you haven't told me a thing that matters to me because I don't care who you are. I don't care what the name of your company is and I don't care where you're from. What do you have for me? So what you have, and see, that's a great point, depending on who you are, like for branding purposes, Clubhouse, by putting nationally syndicated radio and TV host, club pod leader and also podcast magazine director that gives it some credibility and then you tell what you do and help people but in certain ways it depends but it's really about how are you going to show wow you i'm you're bigger than a lot of the people out there how are you going to say that wow fact but if it's somebody else and their expertise level is i help people make money online through seo you better t say that in the first five seconds of your pitch and oh. and i've helped five hundreds of people increase their, their their traffic on their website and conversion bam you had it there you go that's yeah. low. so you how big is your audience you know your podcast yeah, so so, so five million people a week we have uh, 150 plus stations syndicated all that stuff i can say that stuff but again they're going to find that in the bio on clubhouse but if i'm going in a two-minute pitch but what am i trying to sell people and that's the big thing what makes me different what makes me special that's what you have to sell to people in 30 seconds or less and yeah. that's hard because you could throw it in so many different directions if you're a jack of all trades master of none so you want to get that in like when i reached out to you glenn you knew i was in the million dollar room but you had no idea but i was able to put it really fast and quick hey, you want to be on my show blah 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 and then that's the end now when you get that elevator pitch or whatever you throw in either in a dm or something then once you get them longer, they get to see, oh my gosh, you have a lot of value. You can yeah, bring a lot to the right. table. Now, now we're engaged. And, and so the first mistake is the first one that I told you about where people start with name, rank, serial number. I don't care, right? Doesn't really matter to me. The next one that they do is they think, okay, I'm going to get really crafty here. I'm going to find a couple of really good college words and I'm going to throw those into the beginning of my pitch. And it's like, okay, first college word is a road bump. I got to slow down. I got to stop and think about what that is, what that word is. How does it relate to what you're speaking about? Then people throw the second one in. I haven't recovered from the first one. They continue with the pitch. And now I'm, I'm completely off the road on the shoulder. And I have no idea what the yeah, rest of the word is. You're definitely seeing it from a corporate world about, and I know exactly how you're teaching it. You look at what's the value proposition they have. And what pain point are they fixing? And if you're not putting that in your elevator pitch, then that's it. Like I talked about a new elevator pitch. I help people build websites either for their business or for clients in five to seven days with a system. There's that a is, that's a differentiation. If I have about 60 of them. Different things I can do, but that's the pain point. I help people increase their following on social media with no following at all with this uh, system of processes. And, and, and then you don't have to worry about it. But that's the thing. That's what you need to bring if you're giving an elevator pitch. And for Clubhouse, it's prestige is Clubhouse. If I'm talking to somebody here, I might say I'm a, I'm a, I'm a national syndicate radio host to interview these celebrities. 
but is that going to sell somebody? So sometimes your pitch changes based on your audience, right? Oh, it has to, it has to. One size definitely does not fit all. I always use this example. If you're a real estate agent and you're going to a convention with other real estate agents, I would think you'd have something completely different to say than if you were going to a convention with first time home buyers. How could you possibly say the same thing to both of those audiences? You couldn't, you couldn't. You'd look like a fool if you were pitching other real estate agents on selling them houses, right? You wouldn't want that or what it's like to be a first time home buyer. To the, con you know, to the contrary, the other side of that, if you were going to this convention with first time home buyers, you wouldn't be talking to them about why somebody should be joining your agency or why your agency is so unique or how the training that you've gotten in real estate is so spectacular that somebody should leave their agency, join yours. So people, again, don't understand that. They pitch this one size fits all. And instead of pitching to anyone, again, you're pitching to almost no one. You're hoping that your target audience is out there, but chances are they're not. And so the way you really go about doing that is you really try and find for me either important facts about your business that will resonate with an audience that understands how those facts impact them or a question that really gets people leaning in and engaged to say, ah, Neil and Glenn have really thought about this and now they're speaking to me and now they understand. So if I said to you, do you know that 80% of the people I come in contact with struggle with their elevator pitch? Mm, well, now if you're one of those 80%, you're like, huh, I'm going to lean in and listen a little bit longer yeah. to hear what this guy has exactly. to say, right? Well, don't worry. This is what I do. I help people with that 30-second pitch. So they're clearly understood from second 15 onward, and they get the engagement they're right. looking for. So Boom. two quick tips to increase your elevator pitch. What should you do? Well, the first one is really come up with a fact or an empathetic point that really addresses the pain that your business is going to address. So uh, if you're a, a not-for-profit, what's your charity about? Who are the people that you're helping? How can you get somebody? Did you know that X amount of people suffer from this disease, right? Yeah. Now, if, if, if you know someone that does, even if you don't, that's going to resonate with you, right? So that to me is an empathetic way of doing it. The other way is using is using a fact. Did you know that 80% of the businesses in the world are able to advance what they do by working with a key podcaster like a Neil Healy? Oh, well, that sounds kind of interesting. Yeah. Do you know this guy? Oh, yeah, I might know him. Yeah. Okay. See, that's great. And that's the thing. And then the, the process is understanding and being able to really speak your pitch and believe it. Because if you don't believe it, forget about it. You, and I can come up with 50,000 different pitches. And I've done that in Clubhouse where I've gone in. I help, I help busy people. Uh, I came up with one right at the beginning, busy people. I help successful people grow their social media and, uh, and uh, traffic based by this. That, so I came up with something, I forget what it was. But meaning you have to address what audience you're speaking to and how that audience changes. And those are great tips. Glenn, where can people connect with you? Where's the best place they can go to check you out? Alwaysbeencreative.com, for sure. Uh, Glenn Rudin, G-L-E-N-N-R-U-D-I-N. -N -N I'm an easy search and I'm a really active participant on LinkedIn, uh, which is to me where everybody should be doing business today. I'm a regular poster on there. I love connecting with people. I love sharing stories. Uh, every week I actually do a song for the week and I tie that back into my content. On Mondays I do a quote for the week, tie it back into my content. And I, I happen to love LinkedIn. 
Uh, now I'm starting to get a little bit of a following on Instagram, but you know, for me, it's all about LinkedIn or always been creative.com. You can yeah. find me at both of those places and I respond like crazy to whoever gets in touch with me. And I think, I think LinkedIn is going to be back to, we're going to be back to the networking days, even though social audio was such a big trend. I think that I, I told people push all these other networks because everyone's not pitching them. Everyone's going to clubhouse. All the marketers are flooding it. Go back to LinkedIn, go back to Facebook, go back to those places, come up with a way that you're going to be able to network and connect with people and get them on the phone. And then that's when your job comes to place. So we yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, and I'll mention, mention quickly too. I do have oh. a book coming out in September. All right. That's called A Brand in Your Hand. And uh, this book is a serious business book, but it's written in a very easy way for people to comprehend because it is all written in rhyme like a Dr. Seuss book. But it's a real working book. Uh, and it's got real worksheets in it. It's all done with gorgeous color. I love it. Yeah, but it's really different. It's uh, it's breakthrough. Uh, you know, in business and life, we might may judge things in a hurry, and you'll lose us when your brand message is blurry. So read these verses for helpful direction, and your brand will look great when it's under inspection. I love it, Glenn. Well, we're going to definitely connect. Appreciate you coming by. And that was an interview with Glenn Rudin on The Neil Haley Show. Take care. Celebrity slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download. Free to play. Yeah, baby. What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots today. Hi, we're back to the Neil Haley Show, and I'll, I'm going to start doing a lot more Clubhouse interviews. I did my first in-person Clubhouse interview about four weeks ago, and it was pretty interesting, but now we're just going to start getting more and more, especially because people are kind of not going on Clubhouse enough. So I have to just go through all the contacts and connections I've made in the last six to seven months. So I'm, we're going to talk hotel marketing today. And I have Moret Padovani on. Moret, how are you? And uh, appreciate you coming by. It's great to be here on your show. And yes, thank you for having me. And as you said, it's, it's true that there are less people on Clubhouse, but I think that's because it's summer vacation time. No? I hope so. And again, another pandemic coming to the United States. So will we be back oh. or not? It's just that I, you think it's summer vacation. I'm, I'm yes. thinking we, it could, it could be social audio out, outed. So let's kind of go into specifically hotel marketing and, and mm -hmm. especially what you ha had to deal with, first of all, in the pandemic. Tell us a little bit about your background and what, how you're involved in hotel marketing so yes i work as a director of marketing communications at a luxury hotel here in switzerland in st moritz and uh, i've been in the hotel industry for almost seven years now and before that i was in finance uh, communications so quite a you know another usual route so yeah uh the pandemic well interesting question uh yeah, it hasn't been easy, right, for the industry. It's, mm -hmm. I don't think it has been easy for any industry. But we do see, uh, we're already seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, 
business is picking up. And I, I should say that here in Switzerland, you almost would not tell that there was a pandemic, meaning, okay, we need to wear masks from time to time, but uh, restaurants are busy, hotels are back busy, cafes, and it's quite lively. That's, so it's quite actually nice to see. So we're going to focus just on how you market hotels. And again, especially in the United States, people should definitely tune into this because who knows, especially with the competition factor, but there's a competition factor everywhere for looking for places to stay. But we're not always used to seeing traditional hotel marketing done in social media. We mostly see mm -hmm. it in television commercials in the United States, mm -hmm. maybe billboards, maybe magazines, uh, different places, mm -hmm. websites, but really not traditional social media marketing a lot for hotels. I well, now it's... Well, now I would tend to slightly disagree because now it's all about social media, right? Okay. I mean, uh, budgets, the hotel industry never had massive budgets, right? And one has to be very selective and very strategic with how, you know, you use your marketing dollars. And now it really is about uh, social media and digital marketing like Google search, display ads, if we focus on social media, the interesting thing is because I, I like posting right clubhouse rooms on, on hotel marketing, and something that always comes out is that hotels we always tend to focus for one reason or the other on two networks it's always Instagram and Facebook, Facebook, Instagram. For some reason, we tend to ignore the other networks, but I think that is about to change or slowly changing, right. Uh, we, because we realize that people might, you know, there are people on other networks. So hotels are slowly understanding that, you know, if you want to target especially younger generations, the new generation of travelers, then you need to be on social media first thing. And then you, you need to be on different platforms, for instance, TikTok, YouTube, Pinterest, Snapchat. So Slowly, we're, we're getting there uh, where hotels are, are also, you know, studying uh, other networks. Yeah, and int interesting you say that. And so your job at this luxury hotel, tell us about how you're the director of marketing involved in that hotel and what your job is social media wise on a regular basis. And then we'll kind of go into a little bit more diving deeper into what other hotel marketing you think is a recommendation <laughs> for other hotels. Well, for as a director of marketing communications means I, I look after um, well, everything from digital marketing, traditional marketing, public relations, uh, um, internal, external communications. And when it comes to social media, it's more from the uh, setting the strategy, uh, setting the direction. And then together with a social media agency, we, uh, we develop our content strategy, we create the content. And, uh, and then the, the agency would actually manage the, the social, uh, social networks. Uh, so that as, uh, as my specific role as director of marketing and, uh, and communications. And what are you looking for? How do you see metrics when you're talking about some place that people know the physical location of your hotel? They know about it, as you said, as a luxurious one so that the people know this when they visit. Uh, what, how do you get that bump up so that you're continuing to stay pretty full in capacity mm -hmm. every day. Well, I think it's super important to always be, be active, right? To always have something to tell people, right? People are looking for stories. Uh, guests be, uh, can be loyal guests, but it also can be potential guests. They always want to hear from you as a hotel. I think it's very important to uh, be active, uh, put interesting stories out there, focus on creative content, right? 
don't be too salesy when it comes to social media. It's not a sales uh, uh, medium. It's a, a social medium. And, uh, and give guests the information they, they need. Uh, the, I'm also a very strong believer in user-generated content. That's an amazing way to interact with uh, guests that could be staying at the property, right? Uh, so reposting and uh, interacting with their content. Or it could also be with travelers in, in, in the area, right? That might not necessarily be staying at, uh, you know, at your property, but could, be, could come next time, right? So I think it's very important to, to interact. And these are the metrics that I also look at, like uh, how much user-generated content and how much interaction, uh, you know, users That's have had. That's businesses have a problem with is once the content goes out, how do you make sure that people see that you're a brand they know, like, and trust? So when they take a picture at the pool or they take a picture in the restaurant or they take a picture, you know, in the lobby, that that's tagged with your branding so that mm. your team identifies that. And, sh and especially on Instagram, you know, either sh saves that post or comments yes. on that post so that you're getting more and more people to visit your profile and follow you because you're engaged and you're checking <laughs> it on a regular basis. You know, I like that you mentioned hashtags because, um, I mean, this is my personal opinion. Hashtags are not as relevant, for instance, as geotags or, right. uh, or actually tagging an account. Tagging, uh, account, that's reason, huge. tagging accounts are big, not hashtags. It's more like you exactly. want your, that they know that they're going to go at to your hotel. They know by mm -hmm. doing that, it's going to give you that extra. And they boost. do that. Mm -hmm. And they yeah. do that. Interestingly enough, one doesn't have to repeat it. They, they do tag and geotag. When it comes to using our branded hashtag, uh, not really, but, but that's okay. That's okay. And do you feel that you're ahead of the rest of other hotels around your, in your region when it comes to how you're running social media marketing? Uh, yes, for, uh, well, the numbers do speak for themselves because uh, we have a very big... Uh, following, uh, you know, uh, following base. And, uh, and we are quite, uh, quite active. Being active doesn't mean posting every five seconds. No, right? that's right. That's, exactly. People make the mistake. Active is one post a day, but making sure that you're constantly engaged in the comments. You're constantly- Not even once a day. As a hotel, I would say three, four times maximum. Three, four. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I wouldn't post every day uh, to give the content the time to, you know, to, to get likes and- uh, Did you say three, four I, times a day or a week? No, no, a week, week, week. Week, week, that's what I thought. Yeah, that's exactly. what people miss the point. It's a good content post that stays active, gets people commenting and engaged. And, and I'm sure as, as a hotel, paid advertising is important too, that you have to, and this is a lot of people miss in social media marketing when you're a business versus a personal brand. A personal brand, you can get a little bit more organic reach, but when it's a paid brand, you want to put up some dollars. It's, it doesn't have to be a lot, but you have to do paid ads. No and they work very well. The, the thing, the, the amazing thing about paid ads is that you can target, right? You can target yes. for age group, you can work for gender, the location, and that's amazing, right? So you know how you are spending money. And then, of course, it's, you know, if you see that something doesn't work, you can fine tune your strategy and, you know, fine tune the, the metric. You can make it work. Uh, and uh, I'm goes, a big fan of paid ads. It goes back to your client's budget. If you have a big budget, 
or a decent side budget, you're going to always have success in social media because it really, it's paid advertising. And I think thanks to Clubhouse, paid ads are so much low, lower expense with result in Facebook and Instagram than they ever were before social audio. And that's great for, uh, I, I think it, that's what I've been seeing in the paid ad game. Uh, so what about why Clubhouse? Why are you trying to give mm-hmm. back to hotel marketing for not just, because your hotel is the most important thing to you being the director of communications mm-hmm. and that why are you trying to help other hotel people market and at least give What's- them some tools for them? I am a massive believer in community, you know, and uh, building a community, building a network of, of trusted people, of talented people. I have met so many amazing people on, on Clubhouse. I have learned so much, so much. Like I have a notebook full of notes just from Clubhouse rooms, right? I have learned a lot, for, in, for, in, for, for instance, about Pinterest. Yeah. I was quite ignorant about Pinterest, so I knew what it was, okay, and you know, you pin some pictures, but now I've yeah. learned so much on how you can use it. Oh, it's amazing. Um, yeah. Exactly. Um, I think the opportunities to, to network, connect, and I know that network sometimes has this negative connotation, but I, I don't, you know, I, I really think it's a very positive thing, actually, you know, uh, getting to connect with like-minded people. And uh, it's always about giving back in the end. You know, you you give and you take in life, right? <laughs> and your hotel marketing, you want to help not just people in your country, but all over the world about. Absolutely. And, and not only marketers, but also content creators. Uh, also, maybe other hoteliers who uh, are not necessarily in marketing, but they're very interested in learning more about marketing, right? I don't think only the director of marketing needs to understand marketing in a hotel. I think everyone in hotels should understand marketing, right? The front office director, housekeeping director, everyone should understand marketing. Um, and I've seen a lot of interests from people who are not marketers, and, but do work in hotels who want to understand more. And I think that's just admirable. And here's the last question for you. So your club, you have a club on Clubhouse, right? For hotel yes. marketing. What is that called? Hotel marketing. <laughs> Very good. So the, you, you used exactly the right keywords. Now, when uh, when is Marat going to do a podcast for her hotel? That's what I'm waiting to hear. Well, you know, I, I have a LinkedIn live show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not the same thing as a podcast. That's true. Um, maybe because I'm a little bit lazy, I think podcast requires a lot of effort. Although I, that's another thing I learned from Clubhouse that you don't need that much, you know, investment uh, to start uh, a podcast, but, uh, well, you never know. Stay tuned. Maybe it might come soon. <laughs> Who knows for sure. So where can, where's the best place to connect with you, learn more about you and stuff. Where can we go? Uh, well, uh, I think clubhouse is an amazing place. Uh, clubhouse, the hotel marketing club, but also on Instagram, just my name here at Padovani. And I, I post a lot and um, also LinkedIn. So I'm, I'm on these three platforms, Instagram, LinkedIn, Clubhouse. All right. All right. Well, we appreciate you stopping by, Marette. And thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. All right. You're listening to Neil Haley's show. We'll be back in just a moment. Please listen to the Forletta podcast. Larry Forletta, a retired DEA agent turned private investigator, will bring you true life stories on the war on drugs with some of the most infamous international drug traffickers of all time, to name a few, Pablo Escobar, Manuel Noriega, Joaquin Guzman, aka 
El Chapo, and other related real-life crime stories such as Waco. For more information, please visit his website at www.fcisllc.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Photographic Memory Podcast. I'm excited to welcome program Dr. Shannon Panzo. Dr. Shannon, what's going on? How are you? Oh, I'm doing just fine today. I've invited a couple more of my local friends to, to stand in in the background. I hope you appreciate the, uh, the sulfur-crested cockatoos. They visit quite often. Sometimes in my um, uh, what I call my front yard, I'll have up to 300 of these little buggers uh, picking out onion grass. So, yeah, they're quite entertaining. <laughs> we love it. We love the different backgrounds. We have Dr. Shannon Panzo is a photographic memory expert, a brand management expert, and he does mentoring. Go to zuxpro.com for more information. We're going to talk about homeschooling. And we saw what happened that everyone was being homeschooled during parts of certain things. But now the importance of homeschooling in a lot of ways is important because I feel that you could take control of your education at home and have a little bit more of direction in certain ways, especially if you have the knowledge base to homeschool and understand it. Well, uh, we have been given a great opportunity to break the mold away from public schooling and all this uh, parochialism that has been generated over many, many years of, of schooling, okay? We have had this opportunity given to us, uh, almost forced upon us to start doing homeschooling for our children, the most important, the most important members of our families. Uh, that's definitely the children because you wanna have good children and you wanna raise good children and you want them to be prosperous uh, in their lives. So. Whenever it comes to uh, the opportunity this has given us, then we need to take advantage of this opportunity and really uh, take the bull by the horns and start teaching our children how to gain wonderful levels of information, tons of information, uh, be better decision makers, uh, be confident in their world, all the things that the schools do not teach. And this gives us great opportunity to do just that. So how, uh, Neil, how do you think, uh, how do you think what I teach for homeschooling, how do you think that relates? Well, it's gonna be because it's again, self-directed. It's something that they can do on their own and they increase their knowledge base and are much more successful learners after taking Zuxpro. Okay. Uh, well, let's talk about the parent that has the job of doing this, the uh, homeschooling. Well, most of these parents don't actually, they, they look at this situation, they go, gee, I don't have time to do homeschooling. Well, well, guess what? We can, we can show you how to actually get more out of and become more effective and efficient at doing homeschooling. Because whenever a person learns mental photography, which uh, both you and your child would learn mental photography, once you learn mental photography, which taps into your natural photographic memory, which you have from birth, 
well, then it's so much easier and so much quicker to gain huge amounts of knowledge so that you can quickly and easily get through the homeschooling. It makes a lot more sense, don't you think? It totally does. Okay, so uh, we're going we're gonna to make this a little bit short. There's a little bit of information, uh, not specific to homeschooling, but I'm sure that you'll see how this can be, uh, how this can be applied to homeschooling. Uh, if you do go to zoxpro.com, that's zoxpro.com, you'll gain a lot of great information there. Uh, there is, uh, and pay attention, there's, there's tabs up above as well that are, are just full of information. Uh, you can get Einstein's Distraction Index, which teaches you how to concentrate something else that is not delivered in school. Uh, so you can get that, that one for free. And it's just a matter of you going up there and learning more about it. And you'll see just how well this could be applied in your own family. It's huge because the fact is that they can be self-directed learners, become able to, to, to do so much more information more quickly and become better learners all by just going to zuxpro.com because great things happen. Here. Great things happen here. So go to zuxpro.com <laughs> right now, follow Dr. Shannon on all different social media platforms and make sure you like and share this video because photographic memory is here. It can be taught and only through Zuxpro. So take care, Dr. Shannon. I appreciate you coming by. Have a great day. All right. That was the Photographic Memory Podcast. Take care. We're back to Neil Haley's show on the special edition of Freedom. We're going to talk about searching for integrity and also embracing the abyss. Uh, because again, we continue with the book and the story of John Smith. And I really enjoy these, how you really break things down, reading the chapters to say, where did, how did you come up with all this stuff? Meaning recount everything to put it in a book, John. And that's a good question before you even read this next chapter. That it's because it's very vivid. You can really kind of imagine some of these experiences that you've gone through so far. Well, they're, um, they're scenes. You know, I was interviewing a guy that speaks eight languages, lives in Europe last week. And he, um, he gave me this idea in terms of what's going on. Um, it, it, I say it's just a scene. I, I don't really have an effort. I just play not a scene. I'm just writing out when the, when, when the scene's over, the chapter's over. That's how I, that's how it ended up, but but I wanted it to be a story, and and the, the better I could describe the scene, instead of trying to make up something over here or make up something over there, I think it was I was did it the right way or at least the way I wanted to. I had a lot of compliments on it being a story, well a well written story. It seems like okay, all right. So let's go into the next chapter. Yes, the name of the partner is Chapter 12, and the, it's called 1986. Okay. The gang of four, as I called them, consisting of Woody, the commander, the phantom, and Mr. Political, 
were the top ranking officers of the thrift mm -hmm. who were removed in April of 1986 by the Federal Savings and Loan Insurance Corporation, FSLIC. Only a month later, Dixon arranged a meeting for all Dallas employees to attend at the Addison Airport hangar where Vernon's jets were kept. After Dixon's speech in which he announced his permanent departure for California, we learned the other four officers relieved of their duty were not going to return either. Those of us in the know, or at least we thought that we were, knew that Dixon would not return because the empire had begun to slowly crumble at his feet. And it was, crumbling at his feet. It seems like he made a reference about riding off into the sunset to create some emotional drama. But attention spans were dwindling in the near 100 degree heat. There was no air conditioning in the hangar, just us and the planes. At that time, we knew that Vernon Savings was the bullseye. We knew that it was politically picked on and that it was made to target a scapegoat, but that Vernon's savings were strong and would endure, according to Dixon. We thought the removal of the top four was rash action. We thought of ourselves as victims. As it turned out, we didn't know the enormous fraud that had been perpetrated by the chairman and the president, which of course is Dixon and Woody. Filling the void. I was appointed by the board of directors in Vernon to be the new chief operating officer. After the hangar meeting, we went to a hotel bar nearby for drinks. There on a steps surrounding an elevated bar area, Mape told me I was gunga din. At first I was confused, but I later remembered that Cary Grant was in a movie called 1930s Gunga Din who was the hero for saving many others until he perished in the process. By saying I was Gunga Den, Mape realized the mistake they had made and was telling me I was his hero for my promise to shield him. And fur, should our word crumble too. Gunga Den was a Gunyard, Rundyard Kipling here in an epic poem. And I kept my promise. Toward the end on every Friday in Vernon, someone would call to ask, are they there yet? They went on and on for a few months as people expected the feds to come in. One Friday, about eight clone cars pulled up and 15 or 16 agents, all dressed the same with matching calculators and briefcases, got out and went inside to begin their examination. Well, this was in Vernon. During the summer of 1986, as the new COO, I received a lot of phone calls and visits from many borrowers who were promised many things that could never be fulfilled now that Dixon and Woody were gone. I referred to those encounters as rising to the top with an odor. I referred to these encounters 
seriously as rising to the top with an odor. No matter how many times you pressed the handle, it refused to flush. I could not foresee this situation improving in the least. So in September 1986, I resigned from Vernon Savings and the various Dondi entities. When I left Vernon Savings, I was under the impression that I was going to have a fine career as a savings and loan consultant. So I established an office with a staff of three people. I had no idea at the time that I had been working for a company that had been involved in fraud and was responsible for massive losses. It still had not dawned on me what actually happened at Vernon Savings. On the Monday following my resignation, the state of Texas arrived and took charge of Vernon Savings in Dallas. Over the next few months, I began hearing a lot of rumors about lawsuits and prosecutions. I was still in touch with the commander and Woody, as well as the other people I'd left behind at Vernon Savings who were pondering their futures. I was angry and frustrated because of the sad condition that the SNL industry was in. I knew the SNL business just as well as anybody and I was as smart as anybody else. After all, look at the success of Vernon Savings. <laughs> Why shouldn't I be able to go out and help those other sick SNL else who needed help, such as creating a new loan manual to impress the regulators? But I wasn't able to do that because paralysis had set in causing more thrifts to do nothing. First of all, you must know what the rules are. You must understand there are rules that if violated, they can result in going to prison. Even after I left Fern and Savings, I had no idea I could go to jail. No, no idea. Ha, huh. are you kidding me? No way. Me? No way. What for? What did I do? Make sure you understand what can happen. It shows my own naivety, my own unwillingness to challenge my superiors. Hey, they knew the SNL business. They'd been in the SNL business. They were weaned on the SNL business. I believed them. I trusted them. They knew what they were doing, and they never showed me that they were doing anything wrong. Why would I ever expect that they were doing something wrong? We're doing so well. How can anything be wrong? End of chapter. Very interesting, John. Think about things, John. When I'm listening to you talk about this in a way, I'm like, wow, you thought, what made you, what was the reason for resigning? What kind of gave it so you want to go on your own and leave? A lot of rumors. And, uh, I didn't want to be there in case they came up and said, okay, who's your chief operating officer and have somebody put handcuffs on me. I was not interested in that. That's something I thought about that could happen. Um, and, and like I said, to the borrowers that have all been made promises, uh, now guess who they called? They called me. Yeah. I'd take probably five or six calls a day. And I have grown men on the other side of the line, just, you know, pulling their eyes out. I'm going to prison. What did they promise me? I wouldn't do that. You know, it just went on and on and on. And finally, I couldn't take anymore. Mentally, I couldn't take anymore. I needed to get out and do something good 
And, uh, and I already had a couple of clients, one in Louisiana and one in uh, uh, Austin to you know, provide something that they, that they needed. You know, they had been told by the Federal Home Loan Bank Board, you have to have this manual, loan manual, within you know, 90 days. So there was a new customer. Uh, and it was good. I made some new friends. Um, but it also took me away from, from that, um, gosh, it's, it's, it's more than an era. It took me away from just the past, the recent past, removed me from that. Well, you know, listening to this, just, it, and it's tough and you're moving on. You say you have, you, as till we get to the next chapter, you think you have a, you have your own business. Now you're becoming an entrepreneur. You're going to build your own clientele base. And you, you have you don't have to deal with this garbage anymore. And it felt like a lift was weight, weight was lifted off your shoulders. It sounds like at that point. That's right. I'd never wanted to be the chief operating officer. Didn't ask for it, didn't want it, but I was the last, the last remaining officer. All the others were, uh, were on the, I, I can't say on their way to jail because they hadn't gone to trial yet. So walking away, you thought you have, you washed your hands clean. There's nothing going to happen. That's right. That's right. Do you think it was an unfair thing? And this is, we'll find out more in the book. Uh, do you think it was an unfair thing that you were prosecuted, even though you had you did nothing wrong on your end except work for them? Yes. So, and even with lawyers, with everything, still, you had to be an informant to even have an opportunity in life, which is unfair in a lot of ways. A lot of people are put in positions that they didn't sign up for right and do you ever right. think about it if you had tons of money you would have gone back and sued the government or, or stay in Texas? <laughs> that's funny <laughs> sue the government never happened no. right no never happened never happened gi <laughs> or sue the state no 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 <laughs> and then and it's and the, your lawyers never had the opportunity to kind of say, I can defend you. This is your, your are you you really didn't do anything wrong. Well, uh, that's what the next chapter is about. Right. We're going to find it's out about the name of the back. To, huh? We're going to find out next week. That's, the, <laughs> that's the, right. The, the, and people go by embracing the abyss right now by going to embracing the or check out searching for integrity.com. Check out his latest interviews, John, you're just interviewing such amazing people and they really love part of that integrity so people need to check out the podcast and the radio show on amfm 247 but also on all the syndicated channels across the country uh, and really learn stories about how you point the questions to see their integrity of amazing stories and amazing people that you're able to interview every week yeah, yeah that's good i like it too yeah absolutely so go to those places check out his social media and we'll talk next week with another great episode of uh or chapter in the book and i enjoy just hearing about it but wow i'm really asking these questions to say well come on now john you did nothing wrong why do they do this to people that did nothing wrong why are people put in circumstances where they did nothing wrong and then it just happens and then they end up being part of a firestorm and we're going to find that out next week all right, all right. again that all was right. 
the Neil Haley Show special edition with Searching for Integrity, Embracing the Biz. Take care.